Hey, good morning, y'all. Good to see you. I don't know if you realize this. This is supposed to be the worst attended Sunday of the year. And you folks just blow me away. I, I just can't believe um, that so many of you showed up here this morning. It doesn't mean that you can get up and leave right now, but um, man, thank you for being here. I'm, I'm, I'm excited by it. I really am. It's been a few weeks since I've had the blessing to be able to speak, and I'm, I'm excited about that too. Before we get into things, I wanted to present to you, many of you may remember if you've been a part of our ministry for a number of years, there's a faithful servant of ours, uh, Dick Shepard, who served in our kids' ministry for a long, long time. And uh, over this Christmas holiday, he went home to be with Jesus. And uh, we have his services here for his family and our church family this coming Friday. And uh, visitation hours are at noon and the funeral would be at 1.30. And so be praying for, um, for Dave and Ruth and, and all the rest of the Shepherd family uh, through this time. Um, but just know um, that it was probably an awesome Christmas uh, for Dick in heaven with, with Jesus. And of course, he knows the real day that Jesus was now born on, which wasn't, sorry to break it to you, December 25th. Um, it was some other day probably in August or September, and now I've really ruined your holiday season. You know, birthdays and firsts are very important. Um, Some of us write all the firsts down, you know, uh, especially for our kids. First steps, first words, first haircut. I don't know if any of you, any of you save the hair for your children from their first haircut and put them in a little baby book. Some of you did that. Mainly, I'm talking about this for the first child. If you're the third child like me, there's no evidence of your existence <laughs> until you're about seven or eight years old, and then, and then things start to come around uh, for that. I will tell you also that for the Bible, firsts are extremely important. When we study Scripture, When God mentions something for the first time, we really need to take notice because typically he is making a special notation or it's something that sets precedent for the future. And so what I want to do is invite you right now to take your copy of the scriptures or take your device and turn to the book of first, which is the book of Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 3, we're going to pick up our narrative here this morning for this special message on fulfilled, that God keeps his promises. And and here is his first prophecy, his first promise for the future, his first mentioning of what we understand to be this birth of a child, the offspring of a woman who would be born to save us And this mentioning comes in the form of a prophecy, and this prophecy is actually not told by a person, it is not told by a man, it is not told by a woman. This first prophecy of Scripture is told by God himself. It's a foretelling of what will happen in the future, and it comes in a passage that reveals a lot of other firsts, and it's in Genesis chapter 3. So what we're going to do over our next moments together, 
We're going to bring us up to speed on the many firsts that are in this passage. We're going to get acquainted with the narrative itself in Genesis. And then in the end, I want to give us three truths to take us into, if you can believe it, the next decade. This is our last Sunday in this decade. Isn't that crazy to think about? So here we go. Take the back of your uh, East Bay Weekly, and on it is a little study guide for us to walk through here this morning. And there are your first blanks right off the bat for us to talk about. Genesis. Genesis means beginning or origin. It is the start. It is the first Genesis is the first, think about this, Genesis is the first for everything except God. The passage starts with this, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, I don't know if you remember how it all starts, if you know it, say it with me, in the beginning who? God. In the beginning, God. So Genesis is the start for everything except for God. God was already there. God is eternal. He had no beginning. He already existed at the start of creation. He had no point of origin. He has no point of ending. The scriptures say from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And so here's the narrative of how everything began and how God started it. There is a first for the universe for the earth, for creation, for marriage. There's the first job description. There's the first relationship with God. All of it happens in Genesis from chapter 1 through chapter 3. And, and just imagine the state of the earth in its very beginning. And, and I don't know if you can even comprehend this because we're so far away from it right now. But when God made everything... Everything was absolutely perfect. It was without in any way any error, any sin, any problem. There was no taint of any struggle. It had never in any way had any wrong introduced to this entire planet at all. Sorry to break it to some of you winter lovers, but cold and snow are a part of the fall. Can I get an amen? Yes. Came after the flood. This morning I was sitting around the breakfast table with my son Bryson. He looked outside and said, oh, isn't that sad? I said, what? And he goes, there's no snow. I said, Bryson, I'm not sad, I'm glad. And uh, yeah, amen, I'm with you, bro. I, I said, I'm not sad, I'm glad. And he says, but dad, I'm going to start praying for snow. I said, no. He says, but I want snow. And I said, no. I said, maybe next year, Bryson. And I guarantee you, it will come next year, which will be soon enough. But when you drive home today, Look at the contrast. Look at the dead grass. Look at the dead trees. 
Look at the stumps. If you drive by a graveyard, and you go home and you turn on the news, if you watch politics, maybe you've experienced, even over Christmas, tension, whether in your home or in your marriage, or maybe you went and visited relatives, or maybe there's a fracture because of problems and sin and challenge, fallout from sinful decisions, and I'm here to tell you this morning that all of everything that we experience, all of the death, all of the decay, all of the disintegration, all of the problems, all of the tension, everything that we experience and see, none of that existed here. Everything was absolutely perfect, like childlike innocence. Without any exception, everything was teeming with life. Speaking of innocence, I want to show you then how this narrative sets up. If you would, look at Genesis 3, the very first verse, and I'm going to show you an interplay, a play on words, a very intentional play on words, from the last verse of chapter 2 to the first verse of chapter 3. Look, there's an intentional play on words in the original language. We won't see it in our language, but I'm here to set it up for you this morning. Here's how this is introduced. In Genesis 2.25, it says this, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And here's how this play on words is set up. The Hebrew word arumim is the word for naked, and it speaks of this. These are in your notes there too. It speaks of innocence and naivety. They were both oblivious to evil, the text says. They didn't even know where the traps lay. For them, there was no such thing as being street smart. They weren't wise to the tricks. In their nakedness, they felt no shame. Now, this is nothing like today, in our day, some are naked, but due to callousness in the pornography industry or other things like that, they may not feel shame because they become callous to it. That was not the case here. In this situation, there was entire innocence. These people had a beautiful innocence to them. Childlike innocence, it's kind of just like what happens a, a, not long ago with our boys after bath time on Saturday night. And before you can grab them, whee, and out, out the door and down the hall and it's like, oh my, and Lisa and I go to bed at night and say, God, just please get them out of this stage before marriage or something, you know, <laughs> help them. But there is such beautiful innocence. That's where Adam and Eve were. Here's the play on words. Chapter 3, verse 1. That was Adam and Eve. 
But the serpent was more, I'm not sure how your translation reads it there, but notice the word, more crafty. Now, naked was a rumum. This is why I know it's intentional. Naked was a rumum. Crafty is a room. This is an intentional play on words by the writer to show the contrast between them. Adam and Eve were innocent, naive, but the serpent had, and you can put in your blank, a rumum carries the idea of deception or shrewdness. Someone who knew the ropes. Someone who has been versed in evil and is about to prey upon the innocent. And here you can hear in the background that the music begin to go dark. If this were a movie, you can hear all of it begin to transpire. Everything is being set up. Adam and Eve, innocent. Here the serpent is deceptive. And he's beginning to step in. And here comes the very first deception or temptation. The first sin, the first fall. Many are maybe familiar with this account where the serpent came in, the serpent being as we understand now, our enemy, our adversary, the devil. He came alongside of Eve and then Adam to trick them into following his word rather than God's word. And after causing doubt in Eve, she took of the fruit, she ate it, she gave to Adam, who then willingly ate. Their innocence was gone. They then knew they were naked. And then God came looking for him. And here's where we pick up the text. So look at the text with me. This is the critical section that we're going to be focusing on this morning, verses 10 through 15 of Genesis chapter 3. Here's how it reads. I'll read it for you. And we're going to narrow our focus down. So he answered, being Adam, answered to God, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree and the, that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl in your belly. You will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head. And you will strike his heel. So let's focus in. Let's look at this together. Can you imagine how they felt? Can you imagine Adam and Eve in this absolutely perfect, sinless 
beautiful world. And through this act, instant guilt and shame. And the last they knew from God, God said, in the day you eat of it, you will certainly die. And then guess who they hear? Come looking for them. Here comes God. And there they are, Adam, Eve, the serpent in the garden. They're trying to cover themselves with fig leaves, and here comes God. And they are terrified. They are afraid, and they're trying to hide. And and I don't know, have you ever been caught red-handed before? Have you ever been caught in the act and been absolutely terrified? I, I remember back in my childhood, a time when I was caught in the act, and I was terrified. It was a day my parents were leaving for a portion of the afternoon. I may have even mentioned this to you in the past. And, um, and they told my brother and I, we want you to clean the garage. And clean the garage, and when we come back, we want it all clean. And this is the day back before... Um, the garage door opener, so I remember they were pulling out of the driveway. It's a gravel driveway, and so you could hear the stones kind of underneath the tires as they pulled out. My brother and I opened the garage doors, and there's all this stuff in there. And we're like, oh, man, we've got to clean the garage. And, and so we start going through stuff and looking, and, well, we found a football. But we had to see if it still worked. And so we started throwing the football. And then we found some other stuff, and so we started goofing around with that. And man, I'm telling you, we had a blast until we hear the stones start popping under the tires of them pulling back in the driveway a few hours later. And I'm telling you, fear just came over us. And my dad got out of the car and he says, well, let's see what work you guys have done so far. And that is exactly this terror. In fact, my therapist just got me over that experience. We can't blow over this passage, folks. Because Adam and Eve not only blew their own innocence, folks, all the rest of humanity was sent into a tailspin of sin. And not just the rest of humanity, the entire planet was impacted in this death sentence by their action. And the last they heard about eating from the tree, God said, For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. They're trying to cover up their nakedness. And right on the heels of that, God comes looking for them, and he's the perfect God of all. Who would want the perfect God of all seeing them in this sin? And the text shows that they felt shame. We just read in verse 10, they felt fear. And then we know in verses 12 and 13, they felt guilt because 
uh, Adam's like, well, it's the woman that you gave me. And she's like, well, the serpent. You know, so they felt this guilt that they're trying to pass the buck on down the line. That's exactly what they felt. That was their life right then. This is the narrative that is building in this very sequence. And you wonder, if we're parents on the scene and we walk in and our kids are doing that, what do you want to tell your kid? What's the thing you want to convey to them? And I know what I've done in the past with my kids when I've stepped in, when they've been goofing around. You know what I want to do? Maybe I should bring them up and let them tell you. You want to say, man, you are in trouble. You are going to get it. Let me tell you how you're going to suffer for this. You're going to pay because of the stupid things that you've done. It's how we want to act as parents. I want to show you something beautiful here, folks, because at this very instance, in the midst of all of this, what's God going to do? How's he going to fix things? What's the very first thing God does to remedy the grand problem of sin? Look at verse 14 and 15. Now we're going to narrow it right down. This is what I want to get to, folks, and this is how we're going to finish up our time this morning. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, And we know who this serpent is, folks. This is our adversary. This is the devil. Revelation 12 opens the curtain on this and and tells us exactly who this is. Because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly. You will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head, you will strike his heel. Right away, God cursed the serpent or the snake. Apparently the snake originally didn't crawl on its belly. That's a part of the curse and there's no mistaking the reality. God's saying, you're gonna eat dirt. That's a symbolism. You're, you're going to be defeated. Eat dirt all your days. And every time you see a snake crawling around on its belly, you get the image in your head. God has cursed our adversary, the devil, for eternity to eat dirt. He knows he's defeated. He knows that he's done. But here's the first prophecy This is where we've got to focus. This is the most beautiful thing right off the bat in Genesis 3.15. Look at this. And I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. What's this talking about? Enmity between you and the woman. This isn't just that women will hate snakes. Truthfully, I don't like them either. Here's the thing. 
Satan, you used the woman for your purpose. You drew her into alliance with you to go against me. And God says, you know what? Your plan will not work. She's actually going to be your undoing. You used her to go against me. I am going to have her go against you. And how is that going to be? Here's how it is. There's a talk of offspring. He says, there will be enmity between your offspring, Satan's offspring, and hers. So who are we talking about? Let me just work you through this narrative quickly, and then we're going to finish with the most grand, beautiful prophecy, the very first one given from God's lips himself. Your offspring, who is Satan's offspring? And although there's some discussion on this, understanding the serpent is Satan, it's commonly believed this offspring is referring to his workers. He does not have his own physical children that he has given seed to. It's referring to his workers, to his demons, those who follow him in rebellion against God. So all, the, all who follow you, Satan, there is going to be enmity between them and her seed, her offspring. Now who is her offspring? And here's the biggest key. Notice this. Between your offspring and hers. Now notice who hers is. It's a singular word, a pronoun. He. She will have a child. He. It's a singular person, a man who is coming down the road that the woman will give birth to. He will crush your head. God gives a prophecy to the serpent. The woman will have a child. Her offspring down the line, the woman will give birth to a child and he will crush your head. The seed of the woman is a singular person. It is a man. And here's where the prophecy clearly clues us into who the writer is talking about. He will crush your head, although you will give a wound to his heel. The crushing head to the serpent came from none other than Jesus Christ himself. And certainly in the very act on the cross, when that happened, he took a wound upon himself. I'm going to tell you, the very first mention of Christmas is in Genesis 3.15. That the woman will have a child. They were looking to a day in the future when the woman would have a child 
who would come and rescue them from the sin, from the deceiver. And here's a few verses. They knew it. One was coming. Your Redeemer is coming. Your Rescuer is coming. Why from the woman? I'm just going to clue you in. Romans 5.12 Therefore just as sin entered the world by one man, God knew, Adam, you are responsible for willfully disobeying me. God took Adam out of the picture. It was through the seed of a virgin. God bypassed man. It was not through the man and the woman. It was through the woman that God conceived in her deity. So Isaiah 7, 14, this should sound familiar if you were here previous weeks with PR. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. Luke 1, 30 through 32, but the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You were to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. So here's the first mention of Christmas, folks. In Genesis. Be a fun one. The kids say, read me the Christmas story. Okay, Genesis 3.15. The woman will give birth to a child. And he's going to crush the head of the serpent. Certainly there would be a strike to the heel of this one who would come. And so this is the first mention of the gospel. I'm going to give you one of the biggest words you're going to hear all day. It's the proto-evangelium. The proto-evangelium, it is made up of two Greek words meaning this. First gospel. The first gospel. You know, when God first clued us all in that he would send a rescuer who would come to save us from our sin, Genesis 3, 15. And here's the very first mention of it. I'm going to send him. He's going to crush the head of the serpent. Although he will be wounded in this effort to crush the head of the serpent. And it reminds us of Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, you are healed. It's the first mention of the gospel. The Christmas story, Genesis. The gospel story, Genesis. So I want to give you three things going into this new decade, into 2020. You might be looking at your sheet saying, whoa, whoa, there's only two things here. And pastor's giving us three. Folks, 33% more application today at no extra charge. It's my Christmas gift to you all. First thing I want to give you, I'm telling you, I, I, I put the message together, and then I went over all week, and I said, man, I can't not say this. So here you go. The first thing I want to give you is this. No one stops God. No one stops God. Here's the cool thing. So God gives this promise in the garden 
in Genesis 3.15, somewhere between four and 6,000 years go by, and through the efforts of an errant humanity, through the efforts of our adversary, the devil, trying to stop this rescuer from coming all along, all the way up, to even to Herod at the very end, oh, show me who this king of the Jews is so I can worship him, and then he kills all the babies two and under. Our adversary tried to snuff out the line of Israel, the line of the Messiah for all of those millennia, even tried at the very end. And guess what? God made a promise, and millennia later, it happened. And you know why that is? Because no one stops God. No one stops God. Would you say it with me? No one stops God. And now say it like you might even believe it. No one, and it's the reality of it. God makes a promise, God keeps his promise. Millennia later, and the scripture saying Galatians 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law that he might redeem those who are under the law. And we know from this and every other promise of God, you know what? No one stops him. Nobody. And I'm not sure how that hits you today. Maybe you're sitting here wondering which side really you should be on. Who you need to give your life to, how you want to orchestrate your next decade of life. And I'm just here to tell you, unless you line up on God's side, you will not be on the right side. No one stops God. God's ways are true and right. God keeps his promises. God keeps his word. And the timing may not be ours, but he does what is right because no one stops him ever. Here's the next thing. And I love this. This is more than a, just a truth. This is our value number one at East Bay Calvary Church. It's value number one. You're going to hear more about this in our next series, which starts in a couple weeks on Hebrews. It's just titled Jesus. That's all it is. Here's what it is. Jesus is the center. Jesus is the center. He is the center. He has always been the center. And I love it. From the very beginning Mankind screws this all up. And God's plan to rescue the world? Jesus. God's first prophecy? It's about Jesus. 
He's the centerpiece of Scripture because all of the Old Testament looks forward to Jesus. And then it tells us about Jesus. And then guess who we're looking forward to his coming? Yeah. If you didn't get it by now, I don't know, get a cup of coffee and then come back in. It's Jesus. He's the centerpiece of redemption and salvation. And so for us at East Bay Calvary, he's the center of our church, folks. He's the center of our message. He's the center of our worship. He is our only hope. He's who is coming again. Are are you with me today? You get the sense of how significant this is from the very beginning. God said the hope of the world is Jesus. I'm sending him. He will crush the head of the serpent. He's the one that's going to set this whole thing straight. It's all about Jesus. So I just, I, I need to share with you, he not only needs to be the center of our church, he needs to be the center of us personally. We need to take him with us. He needs to be our personal hope. We personally need to believe that he died for our sin, our personal sin. He needs to be our personal rescuer. He needs to be the center of our personal priorities. And then we need to infect other people with how he's infected us, but he must be the center of everything or everything is off-center in life. He's the center. Then here's number three, and this is how I want to finish things today because if you're an Eve here today, this is going to speak to you. Imagine being Eve Standing there in absolute shame before the perfect God who created you, who you had such a great relationship with, there is no fig leaf that is going to make you feel secure at this point. And then you're wondering, what is God going to do with me? I just blew it. And to hear God say this, I'm going to crush the head of the serpent and I'm going to use the seed of that woman to do it. Yeah, there's consequences for her, for Adam and all of creation, but before they ever came before God ever said a curse to her or to Adam, he gave her hope. I'm not done with you, Eve. I can still use you. You have purpose. I can do big things through you. And one day, through the seed of a woman, is going to come the hope of the world. 
And I know that there are people sitting here right now who need to hear this because you might be thinking, man, I have totally made a mess of things. Brian, you have no idea. If you saw my personal life, if you walked out of here with me, if you saw what I did Friday night, if you could see what's on my calendar for New Year's Eve, It's a mess. And you know what? God can still use you to do big things for him. God used Eve, who sent with Adam the world into a tailspin. And you know what? He can still use you to give hope to this world but you've got to give your life to him. you got to give your life to him. And you do. And there's purpose. He can use you. There's opportunity for big things. You can take your mess and you can make it a mountain of opportunity to do great things for God. And so I'm just, I want you here to sense hope. This is not the end. You don't have an asterisk. You can do big things for God. Would you stand with me for a moment? Would you do a prayer in your head and in your heart with me? Three big truths going into this year. Close your eyes, would you? And these are not merely things to believe. These are things to live. No one stops, my God. You're on the right side. If you're a visitor today trying to figure this out, you are You are sniffing down the right path, my friend. This is the right one you're looking for. It's God. No one, he's never been denied. No one stops him. Jesus is the center. He is the hope. And God can still use you. Would you pray those things into your heart, into your mind? And if you believe him and if you live him, would you think in your mind someone you can share those with because our world is full of people who need it? God, thank you in the first, the first portion of Scripture. Right after the first experience of completely blowing it. You show hope, you show grace, you show rescue, you show victory. You gave us Jesus. God, may we be people who believe it with all of our heart. 
May it get inside. May it infect us. May it flow through us. May it change us. May it change our families and marriages and the way we treat our kids and the way that we're at work and the way we talk to other people. God, may we be people of Jesus, people of hope, people who believe this gospel. Do something in our lives because of your love for us. Even when we were down, you showed your love. You reached out to us. And we thank you. We thank you. In the name of Jesus. Together as a church, we all say, amen.